Good morning, everyone. Uh, if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, I'm lead pastor for Riverwood. And if this is your first Sunday, you picked a great week to join us. Uh, we are starting a brand new sermon series today, and so you've uh, picked a good one. And uh, for those of you wondering, do I want to come to the Volunteer Appreciation Banquet? Uh, yes, it's going to be a ton of fun. There will be more than parodies, I promise you, all right? Uh, we're going to have a, a lot of fun, and uh, we promise to make those parodies really swift. Uh, <clears throat> I'm glad someone got that. So... No, yes, yes. It, it promised to be more fun than that joke. Uh, so back in the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, I participated in an online forum for pastors. And uh, at that time, we were living in Colorado, and uh, we made a transition to Iowa. And one of the moderators on that forum was actually f living in Iowa. And so when he found out I was moving to his state, uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, I'd love to, to get together and just get to know you a little bit more off the forum. And so uh, he uh, drove up to Cedar Rapids and, and took me out to coffee and just asking questions, just getting to know me. And, and he says, oh, Aaron, how long have you and Leanne been married? At that point, we were just a few months shy of 10 years, a decade. I was so proud. And so I just gladly said, nine years. And Tony looks at me and goes, you barely even know her yet. Now, I'll be honest, I was insulted. This is my best friend he's talking about. To say, I, I don't know her yet? Like, I, I felt like I knew her better than maybe God and herself and, and possibly her parents. Like, where does he get off saying that I don't know her yet? At that time, Tony and his wife had been married 19 years, so, so 10 more than us. And would you know that I discovered 10 years later, Tony was right, that I didn't know my wife like I thought I did. I knew her so much better at 19 years. And right now, we're sitting at 29 years, and I know her even better yet. I didn't like it in the moment, but what he said actually ended up being true. Have you ever had a moment like that? A, a moment where someone says something to you, and, and you don't necessarily like to hear it, but it turns out that it's actually true. Maybe someone pointed out to you a, a blind spot. You didn't realize you were acting that way when certain people were around, or, or maybe the way you were treating certain people. You, you were clueless. And yet when someone pointed it out to you, you didn't like hearing it. You even probably tried to deny it. And then over time, you start realizing, oh, wait, I do act that way. Or maybe someone shared some devastating news with you, F finding out that like a, a family member, a loved one, a good friend had committed some sort of crime, or that they were secretly fighting some sort of addiction. And you're sitting there thinking, no, there's no way they would do that. I, I know them. That, that's not them. And yet it turned out to be true. Today could be a little bit of that for some of you. Today we're going to come across something in Scripture that, that for some of us, we're not going to believe. It, it, we're not going to want to hear it. We're, we're going to emotionally have some barriers. That we're, we're just going to push back against it. Now, thankfully, it's not going to hurt nearly as much as finding out like your spouse has been unfaithful. But still, some of us are, aren't going to want to accept this. And yet, if you will just stay with me, ride through this, and allow us to go past those emotional barriers, what you'll discover is that this is actually for your good, and it could lead to greater joy and a greater life. What is this uncomfortable truth we're going to be talking about today? Well, it has to do with money. If you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to the book of 1 Timothy. 
1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we're going to be having most of the scripture on the screen for you today so you can read along. I just encourage you to download a Bible to your phone and uh, use the digital Bible or uh, stop by our resource table. We've got paper copies there and uh, just take one of those and make that your uh, copy of the scriptures that you can use any and every day, not just Sundays, but, but any day of the week. As I said, today we're kicking off this four-week series. The whole entire series is all about generosity. But at Riverwood, to us, giving is not a money thing. Giving is a heart thing. And so when we talk about giving, we often talk about opening your fist, your finances, your influence, your skills, and your time. Often these things that we try to hold on to, clutch to, and yet if we're going to live the kind of lives that God is calling us to, if we're going to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, it means we're going to have to open those hands a little bit. And so next week, we're going to see how you can wield influence for the kingdom of God. Some of you are thinking you really don't have much influence, but you actually have far more than you realize. In two weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, these God-given skills and talents that, that has been put within you and how you can use them to bless others. And then on February 25th, we're going to wrap the series up by looking at time, which I I think might be one of the most critical of the four things we're going to be looking at, how, how, how giving of your time to someone is so important. And yet, if we're going to really talk about having a heart of generosity, we have to talk about money, as uncomfortable as that can be. You see, a number of people don't like to talk about this issue. It, it, it gets really uncomfortable, especially when you get into a church. And so because we're about to kind of move into some uncomfortable territory, it just seems appropriate for us to pray. So would you join me? So Heavenly Father, as we uh, prepare to move forward with this uh, message, uh, I am praying that your Holy Spirit work, that the person who maybe in the past felt that there have been churches that have just wanted their money, that today they'd hear what you have for them, that this isn't about what you want from them, it's, it's something that you have for them. Uh, Father, for those that maybe are new in their spiritual journey or, or investigating Christianity, that they would not just hear that, that a church wants their money, but that instead they'd hear your heart for them. And they would see that in this topic of generosity, that this is something you have already done in generously giving of your son. So Lord, I just pray that you would uh, soak the words that I say, anoint them with your presence, that your love would come through them, and we would realize that this message is for each and every one of us. No matter how long we've been following you, no matter where we're at in our opinions about giving, that you have something for us today. So help us to lean in and listen to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For the uh, first four or five years of Riverwood's existence, uh, I did not preach about money. Uh, some of it was because of, you know, some of my own personal hang-ups. But a lot of it was because of numerous conversations I'd had with, with people. Also, I, I like to read, and so through a lot of books, a lot of blogs, and, and then eventually social media, I, I started discovering that there are a lot of people that hold the opinion that really what churches want is your money. In fact, if you were to go on Twitter, open up the search feature, it would take you about all of 2.2 seconds to discover that there are a whole bunch of people that think churches should be taxed because they just see churches as businesses. It's just that a church is in the business of peddling a product of spirituality, but they're nonetheless receiving money from people, so they are a business, so therefore they should be taxed along with every other business out there. And the reason they need taxed is because all they want is your money. 
I didn't want anyone in the early stages of Riverwood to think that all we wanted was their funds. Now, we were a small church, barely making it at times, and yet I did not want anyone to think, well, all they want is my funds. Because what I want is for you to know Jesus. That's what I want. And so I was willing to risk it all. Say, you know what, I'm not even going to address this topic so that I can bring people Jesus because that's what I want them to have. But then I learned that Jesus talks about money more than heaven and hell combined. And that's when I started wondering, am I, am I possibly doing this wrong? That if he's willing to address this, maybe I should too. And then five years ago, I discovered that if you take all of Jesus' teaching, look at all the topics, 15% of it is on finances. Now, you may be thinking, okay, 15%, that, that's not that much. And yet, if a church were to donate 15% of their Sundays to this topic, that means they would be talking about money seven to eight Sundays a year. Riverwood, I think the most we've done is six in a year. We're, we're still kind of short of that. But it made me realize this is a crucial topic because for a number of us, this is an important subject. We're wanting money. We're trying to survive and we want to hold on to these things. And yet, what we're going to discover is it's incredibly foolish to try to hold on to these earthly wealth, which will fade when we breathe our last and miss out on taking hold of that which is of eternal value and which will become more real when we breathe our last. And so because I want to help you follow Jesus, we're going to dive into the topic of giving and giving financially. And that's what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, we're going to do verses 17, 18, and 19 today. So join me at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. A little over a year ago, a group called the Economic Policy Institute released some financial data showing that the top 1% of wage income earners saw a substantial increase post-COVID, and yet the bottom 90% actually saw a, a shrink in, in, in their wages. All right, here, here's the hard data. If you, if you want, I don't know if you can see this chart uh, on the screen. Okay, there's the full data. Go, go to the next slide, Zion. All right, if you can see up there, the top 1%, you see that in from 2020 to 2021, they saw a 9.4% increase. And yet, if you go up to the top, you'll see that the bottom 90% had a 0.2% decrease. Now, you're probably thinking, well, 0.2%, that, that's not that much. And, and you're right, it's not that much. Kind of would have been steady. However, remember what was happening in 2020 and 2021. As COVID was affecting everything, shipping was going haywire, suddenly things weren't available, and costs started jumping. And suddenly, even if you hadn't had a 0.2% decrease, it felt like about a 10% decrease because everything else jumped in price. And yet, 
the top 1% still made even more money. In fact, that is a 206% increase from 1979, their, their total income for that top 1%. Since 1979, their wages have increased like 200 some percent, whereas for the bottom 90%, it's, it's like a 28% or something like that. In fact, if you take all of the income earned in 2021, and you just take that 1%, the top 1%, the top 1% earned 15% of all the money made in America. 1% made 15% of it. The rich just keep getting richer, and the poor just seem to keep getting poorer. Now, you, if you're like me, you're wondering, okay, but how much do you have to make to be in that top 1%? Well, go to the next uh, slide. The top 1% made in 2021, 500, this is the median, $542,283. So if you made over $540,000 in 2021, you are in the top 1% of wage earners. And if you're really curious, that next figure there is the top 0.1%. All right, so richer than 99.9% of, of Americans, they made $3.3 million. Now, I have no idea what any of you make. And yet, I feel quite confident that none of you are in the top 1%. Now, I, I, could, I could be wrong. Maybe some of you are. And if so, congratulations. A lot of this is going to be for you today. But I feel even 99.99999% confident that none of you are in that top 0.1%. If you were, you probably could have just bought this building for us and not even noticed it in your bank account. And so when we come across things like 1 Timothy 6, this starts off, as for the rich in this present age, we don't think that's for us. Because we're not in the top 1%. We buy our clothes from Walmart, not from Bergdorf Goodman. The art on our walls is from Target, not from Sotheby's. We, we, we've just got a Toyota in the garage, not a Bugatti. We are not rich. But what if we stop being so narrow-minded, so American for just a moment? What if we look globally? Does that possibly change anything? I went on the U.S. Census Bureau's website, found Bremer County, and I discovered that the median income in 2022 for our county was $84,727. So then I got curious. All right, so what if a household, that's just not an individual income, that's a household's income. What if that household at $84,727, what if they have two adults and two children? So I went to, uh, what, what was their name? Um, I can't remember the name of it. Um, go to the next slide. Went to, to a website. I plugged in the $84,727, two adults, two children. You are in the top 9% of richest people in the world. But you're thinking, okay, Darren, I don't make $84,000. Okay. I went and searched, and I discovered that the minimum livable wage in Bremer County is considered $48,000. So what if your income, two, mom and dad each only make $24,000, you've got two kids, it'd be really, really tight, 
but supposedly that's livable. And yet you would still be in the top 17% of wealthiest people in the world. Turns out that if you have a house, you're rich. Turns out if you have a car, you're rich. If you have a house for your car called a garage, you're rich. If you own a computer, you are rich. If you have a refrigerator or a freezer that allows your food to last a little longer, you are rich. If you have a room for boxes and bags and cans of food, most people call it a pantry, you are rich. If you have a room at your house that just sits empty most nights waiting for guests to come, you are rich. If you can afford to just go to get roasted once a week, you are rich. Suddenly it turns out we are rich in this present age. Maybe not compared to the top 1% of Americans. But when we take it globally, we realize we have so much. Yes, I realize you work just a normal job, making a normal wage, maybe still in school. And yet chances are, you are rich. Which suddenly means that these words from Paul to Timothy extend to us. Paul tells Timothy in verse 17 to charge the rich, not to charge their credit card, but to command them. And he tells them, command them not to be haughty, nor to trust in their riches, because riches are uncertain. They can be gone like that. Instead, notice verse 18. We are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. In other words, we are to be open-handed with the finances that God gives us. Now, the next three weeks are all going to be about the doing good works, being rich in good works. All right? That's the influence of skills and the time. But we can't miss that phrase. We are to be generous, ready to share. Because first of all, if you claim to be a Jesus follower... You're saying, I want to, to like mimic, reflect the heart and character of God. God is a generous God. We see that through the cross. And so if you're going to follow Jesus, you too have to be generous. And it's not just with your influence, your skills, or your time. As critical as those are, it also has to be with your wallet. Because as I said earlier, it is foolish to try to clutch on to these earthly riches that will fade when you pass and miss out on the eternal riches which will become more real when you pass. I want you to, uh, <laughs> that's not the right way. I was about to say, I want you to play a little mind game with me, but that's really bad to play mind games. Um, so we're going to imagine for a moment, uh, you are driven up uh, to a casino uh, in a limo. The driver gets out, opens your door, you step out, and as you get out, the driver hands you an envelope. Inside of that envelope is $1,000. There are 50 $20 bills inside that envelope. 
And so you're going to walk into the casino and you are going to gamble with none of your own money. Kind of a sweet deal, huh? However, before he lets go, the driver says, you need to know there are two rules. Rule number one, you only get to gamble for one hour. That's it. If you step out of those doors at 60 minutes and one second, you lose all of it. Rule number two, you may not walk out with any of these original 20s. In, in other words, if you go inside, you get lucky, you make extra money, but you still have in your possession some of those original 20s, you lose everything. You get nothing. So you head inside. Now, maybe some of you gamble. Maybe some of you are like me and you'd be absolutely clueless. So you, you walk up to some tables, you're trying to figure out the rules. And yes, I know casinos use chips, but for my little story, we're going to go with the, our dollar bills. And you, you start plunking down the 20s. And let's just say you have beginner's luck. You start scoring big. And pretty soon, you've got about $1,500. You've, you've made more than, than what you had originally. This is a good night, right? Suddenly, you look at your watch, and you realize, oh, no, it's, it's been 55 minutes. I'm going to have to leave soon. So you start thumbing through your, your money, you're counting it up, and you realize you have one more of the original 20s. What are you going to do? Do nothing? Put it in your wallet? Now if you do that, you're going to lose everything. Now you're probably going to rush over to a table, slap it down. Who cares if you win or lose? You'll still walk out with $1,480. Heck, you could even just go up and like tip the waiter. Hey, the food was great. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Because you, you've come out ahead. That's a really bad illustration for what Paul is trying to teach us here. He's saying, you only have an hour. You have only so long on this earth. Why are you trying to clutch onto your 20s? Because you can't take them with you. You're going to lose it all. Instead, give it away. Share it. Be a blessing to others. And by doing so, he tells us in verse 19 that you will be storing up treasure for yourself in the future. That future is not next week. That future is not your retirement. That future is heaven. And then notice the very last phrase of 19. He says, you do this so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. In other words, when you try to clutch onto the wealth of this world, you're robbing yourself. You're not getting to take hold of that which is truly life. You see, we, we, we're being taught by our culture and our own heart that if we hold on to these funds, we spend them on ourselves to have nice couches, to have better appliances, to have a bigger house, to drive a nicer car, we'll be happier, we'll be more comfortable, life will be easier, and we'll be more respected. And yet what Paul is saying is, yeah, but that's not truly life. You want to truly experience life? You want to really know joy? You want to really find peace? You really want to enjoy Give it away. Share it. Be generous and open-handed. Now, I, I realize some of you right now where things are at financially, this is, this is really, really hard to hear. Others of you, you you've had some financial goals you're working towards, and it, it sounds like saying you can't have that. I, I, I'm not saying that at all. 
But too often, we end up saving just to bless ourselves when the scriptures are telling us to bless someone else. Yes, if you decide to live this way, perhaps God will be telling you to not, that the carpet in your house is just fine. You don't have to replace that yet. Instead, he wants you to give it to this other place. Or, or perhaps he's saying, yeah, I know you would like to have that vacation or that vacation home. And yet, I'd really like you to bless them. But come on, think about it. Yeah, you lose out on the vacation home, but what's the vacation home compared to heaven? He wants you to take hold of that which is truly life. But to see that, you're going to have to let go of these earthly things a little bit more so that you can take hold of that which really, truly matters. So let's get practical. How do you do this? How do you live open-handedly? First thing is you're going to have to plan. All right, you're going to have to plan how much you're going to give. Now, I, I want you to have a posture, a heart of giving and generosity. And so that means you're primed, like it says there in, in verse 18, ready to share. But you're not going to be nearly as generous as you want to be or as you think you are if all you do is spontaneous giving. And so you need to put together a plan. A lot of Christians have decided that 10% is a really good, generous, sacrificial amount. Giving up 10% of what God gives you, saying, God, I trust you to help me live on the 90%, and you can do more with this 10% than I could. That, that takes a step of faith. Now, I think a good case could be made from the Old Testament for that. But I, I think New Testament, particularly 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it, it, it makes it clear that what God wants, I'm sorry, not chapter 6, chapter 9, what, what he wants is a heart of generosity. And, and so if, if for you, 8% is incredibly generous, then do 8 if you could do 10, do 10. If you could do 15, do 15. If you can do 50, live on 50 and give 50 away. Live generously and open-handedly, but put together a plan for how much you're going to give. But second, you also have to plan where or to whom you're going to give. Now, I believe that God has created the local church to, to change the world. Clearly, I believe that. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have taken the time to try and help start Riverwood. I believe this is God's first mechanism to, to change lives. And so I think your local church is a phenomenal place to give. But I realize that at, at this moment where some of you are going, aha, I knew it. Despite what he said at the beginning, he's just trying to get me to part with my money so he can get richer. First of all, I drive a Prius, 2007 Prius. All right, so I'm not trying to get rich out of this thing. Second, if for some reason you think I'm a charlatan, if you think I'm just trying to, to get you to part with your, your money so that richer, Riverwood can get richer, then I'm going to give you permission to give somewhere else. I, I think this is the best place you can give, but, but by all means, the most important thing is that you actually give sacrificially, generously, willingly. And, and so if you need to, give to Compassion International like we do. And, and bless the life of a little kid around the world. Give to some organization that's trying to help the, the homeless from a Christ-centered place. Give to, to organizations like Samaritan's Purse or World Vision that are trying to go in through Christ's motivation into disaster relief. Like, go ahead and give into these places. Give to overseas missions. My wife and I do. Give, give to some of these things. The point is, give. 
Now, I realize that me saying, I give you permission to give elsewhere, is, is a risk. Because if all of us take that advice, Riverwood won't exist. And while I would be sad, it, Riverwood's not the goal here. You following Jesus is the goal. Riverwood will one day end. Hopefully it's not for 100 years, 300 years, maybe when Jesus comes back. We don't know when that is, but Riverwood will end. So the goal here isn't to help Riverwood just to continue to exist and have a nice, comfortable existence. The goal is for you to help expand the kingdom of God and for you to have the life God has for you. And that's going to require you having to open up your hand and give. If you want to give here, thank you for fueling the mission that God has, has for us. If you give somewhere else, thank you for giving and making a difference. To help you walk the walk, our staff decided this last week that we wanted to give you an opportunity. And so we're going to participate in the baby bottle boomerang during the month of February. When you walked in, hopefully you saw the baby bottles out there. We're going to encourage you to take one of those baby bottles and over the, the month of February, just fill it up with change. As you, you purchase things, you end up with some change in your pocket, just drop it in there. It's a great thing to do if, for those of you who have kids. Some of you, what you're going to need to do is you're just going to need to write a beautiful, big, fat check to Alternatives Pregnancy Center. Fold that up, stick that in the bottle. And then you're going to all bring those bottles back on Sunday, February 25th, and we're just going to give them to Alternatives. All of that is going to be for them. Because if we're going to encourage you to live open-handed, I want to provide you with an avenue. And so take one of those bottles and, and help make a difference. But not only do you need to plan how much you're going to give and plan where you're going to give it to, to whom, I, I'm going to encourage you to realize this is not a money thing. Giving is a heart thing. Did you notice in there, it wasn't just to be generous, ready to share our money. It was also to do good and to be rich in good works. This is to be a life thing. And that is what all of this series is about. And we'll dig into those things deeper in the next few weeks. The reason we're doing this is because this is how Jesus lived. Jesus was generous. Jesus, the Son of God, could have just taken some of the riches of heaven and given it to us, thrown some money at our situation, and made our lives a little more comfortable. But it wouldn't have changed the fundamental fact that we were sinners separated from our creator. So instead of just throwing some money, he came and he gave himself. That's why as we consider what does it look like for us to live with generous hearts, we've got to look to Jesus. And there's no better place than to do that through communion. So now I'll invite the, the band to come up. And uh, over these next few moments, we're going to just open up the communion tables if you are a first-time guest at Riverwood, we practice open communion. Simply means that if you know the gospel, you know that Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins, that he generously gave of himself for you, then this table is open to you. But this also means that if you're here and you're kind of investigating Christianity, you're just unsure about this, this whole thing, then I'm going to say that don't go to these tables. Because when you take of that wafer, you're saying that that is Jesus' body given for you. And when you open up, the, the, you break the tab and you open up the cup and you drink the juice, you're saying that represents his blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. You're taking that story into your story. And if that's not you yet, then these elements aren't what you need. What you need to do is during the song, stay in your seat and to pray. Ask God, is this whole thing true? Did the son of God 
give up his throne in heaven to come down to this earth and to generously give of his own life for me. If you realize that this story is true, then I'm just going to encourage you to spend the time in prayer, to, to, to confess your sin to God, and say, God, I realize that because Jesus gave his life for me, I'm going to give my life to follow him. If you make that decision today, I, on, on those connection cards, there's just a spot on the back to, to kind of indicate that. We, we want to know, not simply so we can like tally more numbers. We want to know so we can help you begin this journey of walking with Jesus. Because we believe that our hurting, broken world needs more people who will live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. And your first step is to give your life to him. And as you then grow in him, you'll be able to participate in communion. You'll get to go and do good works, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and ready to share like Christ. So Heavenly Father, as we uh, move into this next moment of our uh, worship gathering, I thank you that your spirit is here with us, that you are speaking to hearts and minds right now. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to live fully surrendered lives to you. For those who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would seek to live open-handedly. That as we partake of these elements, we realize what Jesus so generously did for us, and that would compel us and even excite us to go and live in a likewise manner with our finances, but with our whole lives. And Lord, I pray for the person that, that if they're in person or they're online or they're listening to a podcast later and they've never fully surrendered their life to you, that right now they would hear your Holy Spirit beckoning them to confess their sin, to give their life, to put you first, and to begin a journey of following Jesus, to become more and more like him. So Lord, as we sing, as we pray, may you just minister in this holy moment and do this all for your kingdom and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So at any time during the song, feel free to uh, go to the communion tables, bring them back to your table. This is your time to reflect, to respond, and to thank Jesus for generously surrendering for you.